you know, we never have to edit our everyday conversations. They seem to have a life of their own. And we seem to forget the importance of that. When life is happening all on its own, there's a master ventriloquist behind the scenes. And yet when we do these things, we think it's us. It's a wonderful opportunity to experiment with that, to actually find out what the truth is. Because that's really, really the key thing is, how do you discern truth from opinion? How do we find the spark that illuminates our lives? Oftentimes we believe our happiness comes from material things and the accumulation of wealth or finding the perfect career or in finding just the right person. What if it's actually an inside job that leads us to this luminous life? What if all we have been seeking to light our lives is not only already there within us, but it actually is life itself? Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman, world-renowned author, speaker, optometrist, and vision scientist joins us on this episode to share his wisdom, insight, and his latest offerings in his latest book, Luminous Life, How the Science of Life Unlocks the Art of Living. Will you share with us the the story about how you even became an optometrist? Because that, oh, wasn't, yeah, sure. that wasn't your original goal. No, 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 not at all. How did I know what I'm supposed to be? Yeah. So, yeah, t talk about that story, if you would. When I was a kid, if you wanted to be successful, you needed to be a doctor, a dentist, or an attorney. I didn't think I was smart enough to be a doctor because I really never, I never read as a kid. Reading was not something that, that really moved me. And so a few of my friends were thinking of going to dental school. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to dental school. And so I did that and I got, uh, I got accepted to dental school. But I had done it rather quickly. I completed all of my coursework because all I did was take required courses for two years. And I was just shy three courses and the accredited university, University of Miami, where I lived at the time, I could only take two of them during the summer because the other two were given at the same time. And so there was going to be no way for me to complete these courses and Vietnam was going on and all these different things. And so I didn't know what to do. A friend of mine, a fraternity brothers said, why don't you come to my house in Memphis and stay with us for the spring break? And anyway, we went there and we're just driving down the street. I'd never been to this town. And all of a sudden, I see this sign, Southern College of Optometry. I didn't even know what optometry was. And something says, turn around. And I go in there and it's spring break and nobody's there except uh, one woman uh, in a um, – she was in a trailer because they were doing construction. 
And she said, well, class is out, but our admissions officer is in the trailer next door. Anyway, I go in and I happen to find out what it is that they have there, what optometry is, and I tell him my story about dental school and give him everything that I had. And uh, the bottom line is they only required two of those same three courses, and they only had one seat left in the class. And he basically said to me, you know, he had looked at my transcripts, and he said, if you want it, it's yours. That was all she wrote. Little did I have any idea how that would bring me to this. And I think what's fabulous about that is we spend all day thinking that we're making conscious choices to do this and this and this and this. And what I'm trying to share with people is we shouldn't accept or not accept anything. But we need to we need to have a direct experience of what truth is. I remember a very wise woman once said to me, if you think there's a monster under your bed, you should at least take a look. And we are given all of these ideas about life. And it's really important to find out, is that just true in the moment or is that an ultimate truth? And so for me, uh, both trained in the medical field and as a scientist, truth is really important. And what I've come to realize is most everything that we're conditioned to believe and all of our scientific knowledge is actually not truth. It's just theories that are continually changing and they're only true in the moment. Most of what I learned when I went to school isn't true any longer. So for me, truth is something that is underlying, something that is not changing. And that's a crucial part of my life's journey. And that example was just a way in which truth was laid out for me, for me to uncover the things that that I've been fortunate enough to bump into. Because that being an optometrist then became like your blessing, not yeah. only to yourself, but then to the world. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, it's fascinating because seeing is such an important piece of our lives. Uncovering what is seeing? What is it that is seeing? Perhaps it's the most important question that we have in our life because everything revolves around that. And it's especially important today where we need to, you know, we have GPS in our cars, we have Siri on our phones, but the only reason we have those technologies is because they reside within us. We have direct access to a sense of knowing. It isn't our sense of knowing. It's the universe's GPS 
that which is guiding everything. And as we begin to uncover that, it humbles you to tears. It settles you down from all this thinking that you're making it happen and you got to work on this and you got to work on that. Something dramatically changes. You know, I spent years working with children that had difficulties in school because they learned in a different way. And because of that, they were labeled as having some pathology. And what I discovered after working with literally thousands of them is that they were geniuses. They were absolute geniuses. And my work with them was not about tutoring them or giving them exercises. It was really about finding a way where they could uncover the truth about themselves and about learning. And what I discovered is that learning is designed to be effortless. That's what is occurring every moment of our life from the time we come out of our mothers. It's all occurring by itself. And all of the effort and hard work and trying and manifesting and thinking ahead actually obstructs the process. But you would never know that unless you've actually had a direct experience of that. Um, and so all of my work was not about learning something. It was about uncovering how the learning process occurs and that it has nothing to do with us. And so until I could develop ways to allow these children to discover that all they're trying was actually not taking them where they wanted to go. It was only when they started having fun and the, try, the trying just stopped by itself that all of a sudden what they were looking for came to them free of charge. And that's really been what's been happening in my life. And so often I speak about living without a net and and what occurs in that process. And it isn't that you become like, oh, they're enlightened. They create their own reality and they always get the parking space in front of the health food store. No, no, it's not about that at all. It's uh, it's incredibly humbling because you get you get to see something that is like, oh, my God. And that's the awakening. The awakening is actually a humility. You know, you begin to disappear and this miraculous process seems to just step in. Well, and I, I'm resonating with what you're saying about when you're working with the children. You know, when I yeah. listen to that, too, and, and I want to make sure that we mention your, your wonderful book, Luminous Life. Thank you. Which um, speaks of all of this. And, you know, I had, a, I had a similar experience when I was in graduate school. I was first putting so much pressure on myself. Like I, I wanted to get straight A's that somehow that would prove something. So I was reading, reading, reading all these books. And of course, you know, I'd read about three hours a night and not retain any of it. Right. 
But I had this desperateness. I, I wanted to just, you know, cling, cling, cling. I wanted to learn all these things. And I, I got, you know, I got, I got mostly A's, but I definitely got some B's that first quarter because I was trying too hard. Yeah. And when I relaxed and just started being really present in the lectures and just listening, I honestly found out I didn't need to do the reading at all. It just came. And, and I literally, the way I got through graduate school, and I got through the rest of my graduate school with straight A's was being present in class. And then I would sit down. I never did an outline. You know, you do a 20-page research yeah. paper or something. And I, it would be one conscious flow where I would sit down and for eight hours I would type. I'd only get up to go to the restroom. I'd only hit spell check. And that was it. And, and I had you, these you know, beautiful, perfect papers. It was amazing. You know, um, we just met for the first time 20 minutes ago. We're just seeing each other via this medium called Skype. And what's obvious to me, because I imagine I'm sitting opposite you like we're having a session, but neither one of us is doing anything. We're just there with the other, which doesn't require anything either because we were born this way. This, this thing even that we call being present Presence is the process by which we came into this world. It is as natural to us as our heart beating or, or the, the process of our body expanding and contracting that we call breathing. You know, I work with people every day and we enter into a friendship. It's not therapy. It's not coaching. It's not fixing because there's nothing wrong with them. We come to realize that we all have the same experiences. All of us have fears and doubts about things. There, isn't a, there aren't any of us that don't experience the mind worrying because that's what the mind does. No one feels good when they run out of money. No one lets go when the doctor says, I'm sorry to say you have. We all suffer and cry when we lose a loved one or a sweetheart, whatever it is. And when we recognize that we're all in the same boat, thank God, something occurs because the real healing happens when we realize we're all the same height, that there isn't one that knows and one that doesn't. So. I'm sure you learned a million different things in school as I did. But what really matters is the essentialness of our connection, which occurs all by itself. And if it's meant to occur, it occurs by itself. And if it's not meant to occur, that occurs by itself also. And the rest of it is history. It's just we feel at home with each other. I think they call it love. And in that state, we get better. We don't get better because someone has a special technique, even though awareness is very, very curative. I think we get better because we feel a sense of acceptance. You know, we just accept each other just the way that we are. So... I've learned so much over my years of, 
of having so many beautiful people coming into my life and realizing, wow, they're just like me. You know, they're just like me. And it's fascinating to me because I've done 90 interviews in the last four months. And with the exception of one or two people, they're all like me and I'm all like them. <laughs> and so there's something juicy that brings us together, birds of a feather, however you want to call it, you know, limbic resonance, you know, and that's where I think it is. And I think we make it so complicated when in essence, it's just our humanity that is uh, a major healing ingredient. I have found that so true in my own private practice that I, I'm not in my head when I'm with a client. Of course you know, not. Just like you're saying, if, if we're in our heads, then we're lost. I'm not thinking of some theory. Yeah. I'm not thinking of something I learned. It is. It's when you are connected in that moment and being there and you're on equal ground with that other person. You are holding the space and just being a conduit is how I feel yeah. for, for that healing to take place. For the most part unless, God forbid, we're born with some defect, most of us are born with a working head. The wiring works, and part of that wiring creates a phenomenon that we call mind or ego, where there is some chatter that goes on when we feel uncomfortable. Because it's rare that it happens when we're at ease, but when we're unsure, something goes through its version of worry. And it's not just us. Animals go through precisely the same process. But there is something else that is aware of all of this. And that something else is truly our essence. And I think we get confused because we believe we are the internal wheels rolling. In essence, we are that which is noticing that process going on. That's why we're aware of it altogether. And, you know, it's interesting, Stephanie. I'm looking out at Mother Nature through the window, and I realize, you know, I don't control a damn thing about nature. Nothing! I don't have to wake up the sun or wake up the moon or or tell the waves to move a little. I don't have to do any of that. And when I've examined my own physicality, I realize there is nothing in our physicality that is designed to initiate action. Everything is a response to something that is catching our eye, whether it be the physical eye or the eye of awareness, something grabs us and all of a sudden we're moved in a certain direction which we call inspiration. And that inspiration breathes life into us and the rest of the process occurs all by itself. And we forget that, you know, and of course when you're sitting there with a client, the curriculum occurs by itself. And both of you become aware of it simultaneously. And it's just like, whoa. So, yeah, it's, it's lovely to have this discussion about these things that 
are so much part of our humanity. And you, you touched note on it right then. Can you talk about how, you know, you talk about how life guides our life. And for yeah. people who don't understand that concept, can you talk a little bit more about what it, what does that mean that life guides yeah. our life? And that, you know, this whole book is really about, you know, you say, you know, your life is looking for you. Right. And, and those concepts, if, if you could talk about that. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is these are not concepts. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 you're, that's perfect because that's the word we use. But I want to speak about them as actual facts, okay. unchanging facts. Okay. And, and I'll share with you why I sense that and then your listeners can determine whether that's absolute truth. That rings a bell for me. Yes. You live in Colorado. And uh, I'm sure occasionally you might see a bear or some creature in nature. And if you look at that creature in the summer, and if you could get close to them to examine, you'd notice that it's warm outside and so their skin is thinner and they don't have a lot of hair because it would be too warm if they had hair. So nature has designed it so that they don't. Now summer begins to move into autumn and autumn into winter. And as that occurs, the days get shorter. We have less light and the quality of the light is changing. And that light interacts with every cell in your body. Not just the cells in your eyes that think they see light because you can't see light at all. But the trillions of cells in our body all have eyes. They have photosensors that are designed to detect, respond, and be guided by single photons of light. What is a single photon? That's the edge of quantum mechanics. In other words, we are guided by the formless before it is rendered into form. We are guided by something that is totally invisible that can never be magnified enough to see. And so that guidance, which interacts with every cell, causes the cell to orchestrate its internal function and continually synchronize with Mother Nature. You know, on your computer every couple of weeks you get this little announcement on your desktop that you have a software update so you take a moment you download the update and now your computer is working as great as it can well the body's a little different it also has continual software updates except they happen continually it's not an interval thing. Mm -hmm. It is continually going on with the flow of life. There is an upgrading of the software of our humanity. Not only humans, but all animals and all plants. 
undergo the same process. So then what happens is all of a sudden winter comes and that bear goes to sleep. He or she wakes up the next morning and it's snowing. You never see the bear say, oh my God, I forgot to go to Target and get an overcoat. Why? Because the bear is in a continual state of presence. There's no bear that is being present. It lives in presence. Scientifically, we call that congruity and coherence. It is one with life. This continual upgrade in ourselves is the way nature makes us one with the cosmos. People call that enlightenment. There's nothing to do. It goes on by itself all the time for all of life. And so creatures live in this state, so do we. We think we have to make things happen. Even if our alarm clocks are not on, we wake up at certain time. We go to sleep. We never have to tell ourselves when to go to the restroom. We never have to remind ourselves, oh, it's time to eat. A woman never has to fiddle with herself to cause her mence to start flowing. We don't have to do anything, nor can we, about our, the changes in our hormones, our blood pressure, insulin. Every function of the body and the universe is self-activating and self-regulating. It literally is occurring by itself. I spoke about this in my first book, Light Medicine of the Future, and some scientist that I knew said, you know, it's a fascinating book and you're nuts. October 2nd of 2017, I was sitting at Pete's Coffee in, in Ventura, California. I opened up my laptop, CNN comes up, and the first thing I see is that three U.S. scientists have just won the Nobel Prize in Medicine or Physiology because they discovered the molecular basis by which all of our cells are continually aligning themselves with the cycle of light and dark. And essentially what they said is when you're out of sync with Mother Nature, you don't feel well. That's why when we have jet lag, we feel out of sorts. What the average person doesn't recognize is that most of us are chronically jet lag and we've never gone to the airport because we are living life according to ideas about life, which most of the time have nothing to do with the reality of life. And so it's really important to recognize some of these facts that are really obvious. I don't think any of us literally think that we're controlling our heartbeat or our, I mean, we can all sit down and breathe and calm ourselves down for two or three minutes or five minutes, but then our body's off and running somewhere else. It goes back to whatever its default setting. So when we begin to recognize this and life through some means invites us or forces us to see the light 
And for me, it occurred 40-something years ago when I had a major breakdown. But when that occurs, oh my God, we just get stopped in our tracks and we uncover truth. And all of a sudden, everything is different. Our whole life's curriculum changes and we realize the most important things in life are telling each other we love each other when we feel that. Not only giving the server a wonderful tip at a restaurant, but taking the time to thank them for the fact that you get to sit down and they bring you your meal hot. So for me, those little things, that's what makes up my day. You know, just the natural part that is continually planting seeds of goodness because one feels so touched by the miraculous nature of life itself. Well, and Jacob, how do we do that? How do, how, you know, to, to talk to the audience and, and help them understand how do we get out of our never ceasing flow of yeah. thoughts to drop down into this larger state of awareness? The first thing to recognize is that we're not designed to do. That's a conceptual thing we've all been indoctrinated to. What we call doing actually does itself. It all occurs like a reflex because all these activities are occurring way before we are aware of them. You see, we've, we've been trained that I make a decision and then it happens. I remember in the 70s, I took a course called Silva Mind Control and it said, um, the mind selects, the brain records, the body enacts. Well, I've come to realize something very different. That whole idea that we are, the ch we are making choices really needs to be examined because if the bear realized that first morning of winter that they forgot to get their overcoat, they'd be dead. Right. They wouldn't have time to go to Target. So all these things that we think we are deciding, if you really examine the body carefully, you realize that these things are occurring way before we're aware of them. Not a half a second or a quarter of a second, but perhaps 10 seconds, which is like multiple lifetimes in brain time. And that's only when the brain records it. There's something else even that precedes that. So the first thing we need to recognize is we're not doing it. We're not doing it. And, of course, if you believe that you are doing it, you have to follow that guidance because that's, the, that's an important piece of each of our journeys, so I'm just speaking now about my direct experience. So I, as I say to everyone, don't believe anything I say. Just see what, what touches you inside. So how do we do it? Well, you see, we've been led to believe that if we exercise, our muscles get big. And they do, as long as we keep exercising. But the moment we stop exercising, the muscles start getting small. So that which we call change is only dependent on repetition. 
but we're not designed to repeat over and over again. None of us do things or engage in things unless they're natural for us. That's why all of us get excited about a new diet or a new exercise, and we do it for two to three weeks, and then the gadget goes into our closet. So the thing that I've come to realize is that all of these functions are occurring by themselves, but we need to notice that. It is the, the epiphany of seeing it that actually causes it to change. It doesn't change because we do it 20 times in a row every day. I do the affirmations and then it all changes. From my experience, it changes because we finally see it. Give you an example. You know, years ago when I was in school and I was going through school, sometimes the teacher would be writing something on the blackboard. Of course, they don't do that anymore. They probably don't have blackboards. And the boys would be in the back of the room throwing wads of paper and doing things. And the teacher would become aware of something of a noise. And the moment he or she turned around, everything got quiet. She or he did not have to say a word. The moment that there was a noticing, everything came to a halt. The example is very interesting because when the seeing mechanism within us notices what is occurring, even though it has no point of view and sees, just sees, that noticing causes everything to stop to just stop. And so it is the awareness that actually creates the curative movement. And you can do things over and over again, but when we see them, when we have that epiphany, something profoundly changes. I'll give you an example. It was May 7th. I was in Prague in the Czech Republic I was going to speak at the university that evening. I was startled out of sleep in the morning. I had a dream about a dear friend of mine and his wife, and they were talking to me. And the wife was saying, you know, I, I really don't want to live much longer. And I woke up and it was so real that I immediately e went down to, the, to a coffee shop and I emailed my friend and I said, you know, I woke up this morning with you and your partner in my awareness. I just wanted to check in. How are you doing? Oh, everything is fine. Da, 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 da. About 10 days ago, I reach out to my friend and he shares with me that his wife had passed. Oh, my goodness. What do you call that? What? What explanation do you have for that? Uh, I told my, my fiance who was with me, I woke up startled. She said, what is it? And I shared with her. I've had uh, thing, occurrences like that that happened in my sleep. And one of them I speak in the book where I actually saw myself addressing a, a large group a year into the future. And I saw the entire uh, live presentation, every piece of it. 
and I shared it with one or two people. Um, I had that same experience 42 years ago in the midst of meditating. I don't know what happened, but there was just an awareness of something noticing everything. And everything was crystal clear, even though my eyes were closed. Not only optically clear, but there were no questions. Everything was clear. And when I came out of that experience, my eyesight was clear. And when I examined myself, because I was an eye doctor at the time, yeah. I could read lines on the eye chart at 20 feet away that would indicate a 300% improvement in eyesight. But when I examined myself, my eyes had not changed at all. At all. It's 42 years now. I still have a tremendous amount of astigmatism in my eyes. No eye doctor believes that I can see, and yet that change has remained for 42 years. I'm 70 and a half. I wear no glasses for reading. I wear no glasses for distance. I pass all of my driver's tests. I just finished a 23-city book tour driving in places I do not live. Obviously, I'm still here. Why am I sharing this? It had nothing to do with me personally. The reason I share this experience is because it totally shifted everything for me. The smallest of it being my eyesight. The biggest was my insight that, oh my God, this spontaneous remission or whatever you want to call it, this shift occurred instantaneously as a function of seeing something. And what I uncovered is the seeing mechanism is not actually the eye. The eye is just the window that allows the light to come in. And the seeing mechanism is actually not even what we call the conscious mind. It's happening in perhaps what they call non-local consciousness or the unconscious, although none of these words mean anything because we don't know. But every one of your listeners knows that if they close their eyes and all of a sudden they become aware of physical sensations – it's because something notices those sensations. And if all of a sudden activity occurs in the mind, the only reason that there is an awareness of that is because something is observing it. As an example, if you turn on your favorite television show, you may get all excited by the show, but you don't ever think that you are the show. Because you can see the TV's over there and you're sitting on the couch. Well, when you're sitting in a show that feels like it's hemispheric in nature and surround sound, it's easy to get lost in the illusion and forget that the only reason that you're aware of that activity is because something is observing it. And that observer, as I mentioned before, just notices it does not have a voice it does not give advice 
It does not have desire. It literally is choiceless. It merely notices. That is what people call consciousness, pure consciousness, which I refer to as awareness, pure awareness. That is different than mind function which is related to neurological activity and so on. It's what allows one to see and know what one sees and knows. And what's fascinating about that is that when there's, um, when one uncovers that, then you experience what Jesus was talking about when he said, the truth shall set you free. Ralph Waldo Emerson had an exquisite quote Listen to this one because it's just magnificent. He said there's a principle underlying all things. There's something fundamental to everything. He says it's a simple, undescribed, undescribable presence residing silently within us. It's a noticer that doesn't speak. And then he says... You are not to do, but to let do, not to work, but to be worked upon. Fascinating. And so what he's speaking about is that the source of all that is, what we call God, something that is you cannot describe, something that sees everything and knows everything, that godliness actually is our closest connection. We are in set, we are that final set of eyes. And whether you read the Bible or consciousness texts that all speak of consciousness as light or physicists that call the ground of reality light, there's something interesting about all of this and you realize that whether you're looking at it from a religious perspective, a spiritual perspective, or a scientific perspective, you end up in the same place. Everyone's saying the same thing in different words, and the words cause them to think they're saying something different. And the words are really important because words can have medicinal value. And people often use the word spiritual. And, and uh, I say, what do you mean spiritual? Well, you know, it's, it's stuff you can't see and so on. I said, well, maybe we should speak about that rather than because we use a term that for some people is right at home. And for most people, they say, yeah, that's just woo-woo. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you never saw a tree before, and it was the first time that someone said, that is a tree, and that's the ground. And then someone said to you, what is a tree? You would say something that starts at ground level and goes up. Is that a tree? No, that's only a quarter of the tree. Three quarters, you're not even aware of. It's underneath. And that part you don't see is what allows the tree to grow, be nourished, be stabilized, not get knocked over by wind. All living things have an aspect that is visible 
and an aspect that is invisible. Every scientist knows that. In fact, that's why the scientific method occurs and exists, because we keep extending the visible into the invisible. I guess you could call that spiritual, but we don't know what that is. But if we speak about it in commonsensical terms, all of a sudden everybody's saying the same thing. And some of those artificial demarcations just begin to melt away. Hi, this is Chris Lanfear. We'll get back to our conversation in a moment, but I wanted to take a second to let you know a little secret. Radio isn't free. We spend a lot of resources producing shows like the one you're listening to right now, and that all costs money. Every little bit helps, so if you like what you're hearing, go to noco.fm, that's N-O-C-O dot F-M, and click on the Donate Now button. Your donation goes directly into producing more shows like the one you're hearing right now. Our staff is made up of volunteers, so we don't have much of a budget. In fact, most of the time, we don't have any budget. But that's where you come in. So if you like what you're hearing, please go to noco.fm and support us. Thank you. You know, I noticed that in, in psychology as well, maybe 15 years ago or so, where there was this real merging all of a sudden, you know, this kind of Buddhist psychology, where they, yeah. we, we were merging, like you're saying, where it, it really took on this, where everyone was, what's the word I can use? Um, it was cohesive. Right. And right. we were speaking the same language. It wasn't that these things were separate elements. And so that's really what yeah. I'm hearing you say. There's really not much under the sun. One of my, you know, people talk about uh, choicelessness and unconditional acceptance and enlightenment and so on. But Jesus spoke directly about this in very clear terms a Zen patriarch almost 1,500 years ago described this along with many of the laws of physics. This is way before any of this was even known, quantum physics. So anyone who has touched into a, a certain level of awareness has begun to see what used to be invisible and has attempted in whatever way they could to share it whether it be in words or in some other means or in paintings on the side of caves. And once we begin to recognize all that, I don't know, life takes on a whole different feeling. Well, and Jacob, that's, you know, that's the question is, you know, how does this, by being aware of what you're talking about and living this life where we really are in touch with the essence and the light inside of us, both within and without, how does that improve our lives? Because we're so focused on ego-driven life and yeah, 
how, how does, you know, we think we've got to succeed and be successful and make all this money. And you, and you talk about in your book, you know, we, we all, when we do, we define ourselves by all these roles and the things, you know, that we have to do. Yeah. And we think that's the way we're going to be happy, this external pursuit of happiness. Yeah. So can you speak directly to that? How, how does by having this awareness and by embracing and starting to experience this truth, how does you, that enhance our lives? It actually allows you to become successful at living rather than just successful at making money or whatever it is. Oh, my God, you become a bundle of joy. You know, how do you do that? Well, let's go back to saying we were actually born that way. It's not something we have to become. It's something we have to undress into again. You know, you're a therapist. Three years ago, I was uh, I gave a keynote address at Sigmund Freud University in, in Vienna. And I started speaking about when Freud said that an infant lives in a state of oceanic bliss. Why did Freud say that? Because an infant isn't aware that it's an infant. An infant is not aware that it is one being and its mother is another being. It doesn't have any sense of that. Everything is just, just resides in a state of isness. An infant has no awareness of gender, religion, skin coloration. An infant has no preferences. What is it within our humanity that is hardwired into our system when we come in with that allows us to see without preferences. The great Zen patriarch said, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, the world is clear, clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, hold no opinions for or against anything. To hold what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. So Sengston, that Zen patriarch, was saying that there's a part of our humanity that's always looking for what's true and what's safe and what's secure. Of course, there is no safety, security, and predictability on the planet. So when you say, how do we tap into it? It's important to see if we can remember what life was like when it wasn't so complicated when we weren't spending all day long in front of our cell phones or our computers or, or when we took human beings that used to come into our practice and we would sit with them for a while and get a sense of their state of wellness and, and then we transmuted that into a diagnosis, a label, and then that label has now become just a few letters and we've lost sight of the person. So we need to realize that as a parent, 
every so often you get a sense about your daughter or your son and you pick up the phone and you call them, oh, mommy, I was just thinking about you. What guided us to pick up the phone at that moment, to have the feeling? We don't have a word for that, but we say, oh, I had a feeling. It was my intuition. I had an instinct. A light went on in my head. Well, we say all these things, and because we call them feelings, we think they're physical. No, they're not. We get a sense of them at a certain point, well after the fact, but essentially what's happening is something is guiding ourselves, that light I spoke about, and that guidance then enters our awareness. It catches our eye. It's life looking for us that causes us to move in a certain direction. You know, I studied vision for many, many years, and I was led to believe the eyes look for things. And then I realized something. The eye doesn't even move until light grabs its attention and pulls it over here effortlessly. Why does it pull it over there? Oh, it could be that she caught my eye because that's my future mate. Or that child caught my eye because they were about to cross the street when I'm driving the car. Or this road caught my eye because it's actually a shortcut to where I want to get to. I mean, it's only when we honor that guidance and see where it takes us that these facts, these truths, become self-evident. A friend of mine called the other day because I called him up and I said, you know, Larry, I was just driving my car and boom, you came into my awareness. So I'm calling you just to let you know I was thinking about you. And he calls me back and he says, you know, Jacob, you do that all the time. And I realize I get that sense about you most of the time, but I don't actually follow through with that. Because I've got other things going on. I said, well, you know, we were led to believe that that was distraction because we put the guidance that is looking for us in the same bucket where we put the chatter that is occurring internally. They're totally different. You know, one is an internal process of worrying, and the other one is the universal GPS guiding our movement through life in the same way it guides the movement of a planet or the movement of the tides or the change of the seasons or the timing of things in our body. It's really totally commonsensical. There's nothing like... Oh, that's an interesting thing. Let me think about that. Just look around, and wherever you look, you see this. So how does this occur? By noticing what is actually truth. What is our direct experience in life? I mean, we're all led to believe that we're controlling life, but who's controlling their heartbeat or their breathing rate? Or uh, who knows exactly... Um, uh, when they're going to live or when they're going to die or when they're nobody knows they're going to have an accident or win the lottery before it happens. All these things are, oh, my God. 
So when we recognize the truth of that, then we begin to merge with reality and then mentality begins to diminish. It isn't that there's anything wrong with the mentality. It has a function. That's why it's there. But we've been conditioned to believe that it is everything when, whether you're looking at this scientifically or otherwise, you begin to realize that it is a small segment of this whole picture, a very small segment. You know, the eye is a beautiful example of this. You look at the back of the eye, the retina, and it has 135 million photosensitive cells. It has maybe five or six million cells that are compacted into a small area that discern things. I like that. I don't like that. And then you have all of these other cells that are spaciously strewn around the whole rest of the retina, about 130 million of them, and they feel reality. So one is a scrutinizing reality, and the other one is feeling reality. They both have a job. Just watch an animal in nature. It's sleeping. A dog is a beautiful example. It's sleeping. You get within a certain distance of it, and all of a sudden the dog's ear goes up. You get a little closer, and it opens one eye. You get a little closer, and both eyes open, and it looks. You get a little closer. It starts to grow. It doesn't look to see am I in danger or not until a certain point. Everything that occurs before that is occurring in an invisible field. Something senses and something naturally responds. So the eye does the same thing. We become aware of things way before we say, oh, that's Stephanie or that's a tree or whatever. That awareness of seeing before things have manifested into form, that's very profound. I don't know of any tricks to learn how to do that. I just know that that occurs naturally, and now it is my guidance mechanism. I don't prepare anything when I'm asked to speak. Menus I, I rarely look at. I just open up and my eyes seem to go to exactly what it is. And I allow myself to just follow that guidance. And that is the whole way that things occur for me. What is the impact of it? All those things we call stresses reduce tremendously. Now, nobody feels good when they're worried about something. So we all have that. There is no life that goes by that's stress-free. Why? Stress causes us to grow. And that's the natural part of the stress phenomenon. That's, that's Mother Nature taking us through a yoga class. Even though some of those stresses feel like they're going to kill us, we discover pretty quickly we don't die easily. 
What I'm speaking about is the 99% of stress that occurs because we're not following the universal GPS. We're following all of these beliefs that we have about life. And this is where it's critical because if you look the word belief up in a thesaurus, you'll see it means the same as thought, idea, concept, and theory. But if you look at the antonyms of belief, you discover very quickly that the opposite of belief is truth. Whoa, that's the truth Jesus was speaking about, that unchanging truth. So belief is something that's just true for the moment or for a certain period of time. You can lean on it for a while, but at some point it's going to fall over whether it be a scientific theory or something else. What I'm speaking about is something that is always there. And there is something that is always there. And I'll tell you what that is. We were all led to believe that the only constant is change. The only way that everything can continually appear to be changing is if what is observing it is not changing. If the observer is changing along with the observed, you will never notice change. And so then you have to realize, what is that observer that Ralph Waldo Emerson was speaking about? What is that place inside that seems to notice everything? Could that actually be what we call God? So this is not going against uh, what religion is, is sharing. It's saying, look at it. It actually describes it quite beautifully. That, that it's within us. It's, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's within, it's within every plant. It's, it's within, within every, every cell. Tree. Everything, everything, yes. everything is that godliness. And that godliness is something that is not describable. You have no idea what it is. In fact, I'll take this a step further. We don't understand anything about anything. Nothing at all. That breakdown that I had 40 years ago was when all of a sudden everything unraveled. You were just and, going through a divorce, is that right? Well, I yeah, I had a very sudden divorce and was having, you know, 30, 40 panic attacks a day. It was it was very extreme, more extreme than anyone that I have ever seen. And what was happening was the picture that I had of reality all of a sudden dissolved before my eyes. And something was dying. And what was dying were all the ideas that my full bank account was invested into. And so over years of living and breathing and having heartache and all of these things, you know, that sometimes we put into the category of shit. I came to realize that shit is what makes flowers grow. I came to realize that perturbance is certainly the catalyst for what we call transformation. It is the paradigm shift that brings forth evolution. So without that agitation, the clothes doesn't get clean in your washing machine and life doesn't continue to distill.
And so part of this understanding, it's not an understanding, part of this sense of knowing is that you become comfortable, more comfortable with things that used to be uncomfortable. But there's no perfection. Everyone worries at times. Everyone has heartache. Everyone gets sick. You know, this whole uh, idea, you know, once you make the right choices and once you have that down, everything is perfect. Right. If that was true, look at the life of Martin Luther King, you know, John F. Kennedy, Gandhi, Buddha, Jesus, Moses, every man and woman that has made a mark on history, the ones that made the biggest marks had the biggest marks. They had a lot of marks on them, a lot of scars. They had to go through hell. So if you're going through difficulty, you're in good company. Thank you. You are so welcome. What a wonderful way to start my day. Oh, thank you, Jacob. This has just been so fantastic. And and this, I'm just so inspired about just this, again, reinforcement of surrendering to what is. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I I hope we'll be able to do this again. I'm happy to do it anytime. I was so deeply honored to have Dr. Jacob Lieberman as a guest. When I turned off the microphone, I was overwhelmed with the sense of what just happened. I felt like I was taken to a very elevated state of being, a place where there is no separateness, where we are all connected, where we are all luminant beings. One of the things that really resonated with me so deeply was when he said, we are all the same height, meaning we've all suffered. We've all had pain. We've all had joy. None of us get out of this life unscathed. And it's through our common humanness, through our humanity, that we can learn how to heal ourselves and bring that illumination to each other. I also loved his concept that life is looking for you. If life is looking for us, we can relax into the flow of our lives. We can actually begin to get out of our egos and out of our heads and move down into our hearts and trust that something bigger than us really is there guiding us. Whether you call it life itself, spirit, God, there's so many names for it. But I love when he was talking about that there is something else beating our hearts, breathing our breath, changing the seasons and aligning the planets. When we can get in touch with that light that is within us, that is never separate from us, what we can begin to do is truly relax into our lives. We can trust that life is always working for our highest good. We can quit the desperate clinging, the desperate search for what finds meaning and actually stop and pause and realize that the meaning is already there right inside of us. If we take the time to pause and drop into our hearts 
and breathe into the flow of this present moment and bring our awareness to the now, we will find that the sparks we wish to light us up and the luminous life that we desire is right here and right now. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain, and podcast episodes are released the same day. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.